Greetings, everyone. Hope all of you are enjoying this Feast of Tabernacles. I know it's been my 50th feast that I'll be attending this time. And I was baptized in 1963, right before Passover. Each year the feast seems to grow better, richer in knowledge for me and my wife. I know all of you will go home much richer of knowledge of God, who He is, what He is, His plan of salvation. And I hope all of you will understand just how important God's feasts are to each one of us. It pays to know the Scriptures. I remember hearing the story about this widow who was uh, burglarized, or at least the burglar was going into her house to rob her, and it's pitch dark at night. She couldn't see the burglar. The burglar couldn't see her. But she started quoting Acts 2.38. She quoted Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. The burglar froze, stood still, didn't move. She called 911. The police came, arrested the burglar, taking the burglar to the police car. And the, uh, the policeman asked her, him, I'm sorry, asked him, why didn't you rob the lady? She said, are you crazy? Do you think I'm going to rob her when she has an axe and two thirty-eights? That's why we need to understand the Scriptures. So we're here to get meat in due season. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul charged Timothy with this message. Verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and Lord Jesus Christ who would judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come see, when people will not endure sound doctrine. And I think you probably know people have fallen away because they couldn't endure the sound doctrine or probably didn't understand the feast they were keeping. So God wants us to understand His plan of salvation, and we learn through the feast that we're keeping what His great plan is. We're here then to get a little foretaste of our future, what is coming. The title of this sermon is A Shadow of Good Things to Come. In Hebrews chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writing, he said you could actually taste the good things of God. In Hebrews chapter 6, we read in verse, beginning with verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. So we can actually have a little taste of the future, the future that is to come according to Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. So when you read God's word and understand it, it's taste. It tastes good. It just settles the mind. And the Bible here shows that we can actually taste a little bit of our future that is to come. Then he talks about if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they have crucified again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. So a person then who have tasted the good word of God and the future to come can fall away. And that's why it's important for us to understand God's feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, what it is, what he has for us. So we are looking at a little glimpse into the future that God has called us to. In Psalms 34, back in Psalms 34, David was writing here, Psalms 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So it's something that a person can literally taste. It leaves a good taste in one's mind. When you taste and see how God's Word is, how good God is. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O oh, fear the Eternal, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. Just think about what God has called us to become. 
called us to understand his wonderful plan. Not only that, he promises us to take, he'll take care of us, that there would be no want in our lives. God supplies all of our needs, as Jesus said plainly in Hebrews and in, in this inspiration here. So Proverbs 9, Proverbs chapter 9, if you'll turn to Proverbs 9 and verse 10. Give instructions to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So those are the minds that taste God's Word, who wants to learn, who wants to understand the plan of God, who wants to live with God forever. In verse 10, the fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. That's the starting point. And the knowledge of the Holy One, or the holy days, our holy time, or the holy Sabbath, is understanding. That's the way we receive our understanding of God's plan for mankind. Man is created to have this special relationship with God. And here at the feast, as we're observing, we can have this special relationship with God and with each other as we talk about and taste the good word of God. So once again, it says, The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's important that we grow in the knowledge of God and His great plan for mankind. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy 4, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 4, But you who held fast to the eternal your God are alive today, Every one of you, surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, you know, the holy days and judgments, just as the eternal my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful, pay attention to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, surely This great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now, we understand that God only calls the weak. We don't stay weak, but people may look on us as strange, but they understand one thing, that we do know the Scriptures. Why do we know the Scriptures? It's because we keep God's statutes, His judgments. We keep those things that gives us understanding and wisdom. Then verse 7, For what great nation is there that this has God so near to it? Or we could substitute the church if we wanted to. For what great church is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon Him. And God has given us that understanding, that reason that we can call upon Him. For any reason, God is there to help us. God is near then to His church, to His people. He's always there to listen to us and help us. In verse 8, And what great nation or church is there has so, such statutes and righteous judgments as are all in the law which I set before you this day? So God's holy days, part of the statutes, God has given us those days so we may learn more about Him and His way of life. Have that fellow relationship with Him to understand His great purpose for us, for our being called at this time. Then he gives a warning, only take heed to yourself, pay attention, special attention to yourself, and diligently keep yourself. So a Christian is required to keep himself, be diligent, be watchful, be vigilant in, in overcoming and growing and fleeing temptations that would take us away from God and His way. So he says that we are to teach our children. And those who have the children there with you, we are to teach our children and our grandchildren the statutes of God, how great they are. And it is our understanding. It is our wisdom. So this is God's feast. We are God's people. Holy feast, holy people. What a combination that is. What we want to remember, we must consistently review. If not, it can slip out of our minds. God's feasts have a purpose. There is a purpose for your calling. 
There is a purpose for you being here at this feast. We read that in back in Romans chapter 8. In the book of Romans, Paul writing to the Christians around Rome in verse 28. And we know, or we Christians know, that all things work together for good. See, they work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. Though God has a purpose for each one of us. We are to fulfill that purpose that God has for us. Not our own purpose, but God's purpose for us. And that's what God has wanted us to become, wanted us to become like Him. So God then has created us for this special purpose for Him. That we can be like God. That we can become God. That God can create in us supreme character to become supreme beings. And that's what it's going to take. Supreme character to be a supreme being over the angels, over God's creation. We will share in that with Christ forever and ever and ever. There is no power that can stop God from His purpose. We serve a God who has all power. We serve a God that has nothing's impossible for Him. Nothing. He's not. Nothing's impossible. We serve a God that makes the impossible become possible for us. Back in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, when God told Sarah and Abraham that they would have a son. And of course, at their age, it was hard for them to believe it in one way. And the Lord said, verse 13 of Genesis 18, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Then the question is, God said, Is there anything too hard for the eternal? Is there anything too hard for the God you serve? Is anything impossible for Him? Is there anything that He can't do? This is the God of the church, the God of the feast. He's brought us here together to learn more about Him, that nothing's impossible with Him. All things are possible with God. And the more we understand that as time grows in the future, we will need that assurance that nothing is impossible to God, that God can deliver His people, that God can deliver His church, and no one can stop that at all. No one can stop the purpose that God has called us to complete. In Jeremiah chapter 32, in Jeremiah 32, Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. He recognized God's greatness creating the heavens and the earth and by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you or too hard for you. That's the God we serve. That's the God of this feast. That's the God has invited us to his feast. He's the God that made it possible for us to be here at his feast days. And we thank God for that, that we have brethren all around the world who are observing God's feast, that God has made it possible. He's given us the income. He's given us the favor to be with each other and help each other. And it's very important that we get to know each other and share in God's great blessings because we're going to live forever and ever in the family of God. Matthew chapter 19, in Matthew 19, Jesus was asked this question and he gave the answer to this question. In Matthew 19, which the rich young ruler did not give up his wealth, would not give it up even though it's temporary because he's going to die eventually. You leave that wealth to somebody. In verse 23 of Matthew 19, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Surely I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God 
All things are possible. All things are possible. We cannot save ourselves. Only Christ can save us. Only He's He's the Savior. He's the one who gave the uh, gave the Sabbath and the holy days that we may learn His great plan of salvation for mankind. That the Father wants us to be in the family, the family of God, and we are striving for that part. In the family of God, it's hard to even begin to visualize how great that's going to be in God's family. All we know is this family that we were born into. We had no choice. No, we didn't have a choice of nationality or the color or whether they're rich or, or poverty. We had no choice. But we do have a choice now to be born again into the family of God, a family that lives forever where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more burdens to bear. Life will be always scintillating, never boring in the family of God. And we've never experienced that. We've got a little foretaste here at the feast, a little foretaste of what that's going to be like, being together in happiness and singing together and eating together, fellowshipping together for eight days, that we can go home rich in knowledge, rich in understanding, rich in friendship, which we all need. We need that for this cold world that we're living in and understanding. <clears throat> what an honor it is to be a son of the living God. Do you take that lightly? It's an honor, pleasure, to be chosen out of all the billions of people on earth, to be chosen and given the great knowledge of God and His purpose for each one of us and the purpose for all mankind at this time. He shows us for His purpose, for a mission that we're on. After we fulfill our mission in this life, we will be rewarded an office of power, authority, wealth, and prestige. Our minds can't even begin to comprehend that. Our limited minds cannot comprehend the universe. Our limited minds cannot comprehend how powerful the angels are. We're limited, limited. We're temporary. We're not permanent yet. We're only temporary, and, uh, and we understand that. Life in eternity will be scintillating. It will never be boring or dull, as I mentioned. We will live forever and ever and ever with God, where time will have no effect on us at all. Never grow old, never grow tired at all. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared of the glory that shall be revealed in us. Life will be scintillating. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul was writing here in verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him and those who are called for his purpose. Remember Romans 8:28 for those who love God. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God, the very deep things of God that God is revealing to us that we can grow richer in his knowledge of who he is, that the great creator of heaven and earth, and the new create, and he will create a new heaven and earth for his sons when this mission is over. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? That's all man knows. He just knows what's around him, the knowledge that comes in from other people, not from above. Even so... No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. No one. So God has given us His Spirit to understand the deep things of God, not of our own choosing, not because He loves us more than anybody else, but because He's chosen us for that purpose, to learn the deep things of God and to suffer in this life. Also, we suffer and we understand the life is temporary. Life is short. But eternity is forever and ever. Now we have now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See, this is special relationship that we have to, we have with God. To know Him, to know His purpose for mankind, to learn that purpose, how that character created in us become a supreme being in the family of God. God has given us this opportunity. So let's take advantage of it. Let's learn as much as we can at this feast about God and His way of life. So these things, verse 13... We are also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things, you see, with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolish to him. Before God called me, that would, it was foolish. I thought I was going to heaven if I were good. I thought I was going to hell and burn forever if I were bad. I had no knowledge of God at all. The true God, not until He called me and revealed to me Him, and He's still revealing that to me. As I mentioned, this is the 50th feast. And I know I'll go home much richer in knowledge and understanding of God if I keep it the way God asked me to and enjoy His feast, enjoy His way of life as God asks us to do. Then it goes on, for they are foolish as the natural man to Him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It is a spiritual understanding that God gives us. In verse 15, Who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the eternal, or the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We've never instructed God. We don't know how to instruct him. We have that mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was one who always went to the outside. The outcast brought them back in society, restored them back to health, cast out the demons. He had the mind. He had the compassion, which was what we're learning, to be compassionate like Christ is, to help others, to take the message that God has given to us to others, to support that message if we're compassionate people. And we would want to do it. If we have the Spirit of God filled with His Spirit, nothing is more important than what we are doing uh, in this in the church of God. So let's understand that and understand. We can only begin to comprehend the invisible things of the spiritual realm by observing things of the physical realm. That's the only way we can comprehend it. Understanding that God's feast are shadows. Then they lead to the reality that's coming. And I think we understand what a shadow is. If you follow a tree, cast a shadow. If you follow the shadow, it'll take you to the substance, the real tree. And so we can comprehend some of the invisible things but in the spirit realm by observing the physical things, the symbolism of spiritual cities. Can your mind picture that? Spiritual cities, gates, rivers, trees, fruits in Revelation 21 and 22. Horses, armies, sword in Revelation 19. Can you picture Christ coming on a horse? Can you picture that? We know what a horse is physically. He's coming on a horse. So we see that armies, he has armies and swords. We understand that in the physical realm. So we can comprehend the spiritual realm, that there are armies, there are swords, horses, apparently, thrones and wheels in Ezekiel 1 and 10. We understand a wheel, what a wheel is. We understand that. Well, also, there is spiritual. That's forever. We have thrones, clothes, crowns, gold, glass, crystal, lightning, thunders, voice, lamps, in Revelation chapter 4, you see, Revelation chapter 4 is the substance. What we see here is temporary, are shadows. Thunder and lightning, all this are shadows. Are the real thing are copies of the real thing in heaven. <clears throat> so this testifies to an existence 
so incomprehensible that even the profuse utilization of physical knowledge can scarcely whet the appetite of what lies in the future for all of us. Even going further, there are spiritual books, seals, incense, veils, bowls, or vows, bowls, songs, hair, etc., without any indication of any limit to the scope of the spiritual things. We have a, there's a limit to the physical. We're all limited to this earth. But eventually, all these things we read about in the scriptures are substance. They're the real things, the real things that we can enjoy and have a part in forever. So the scope of God's family shall be literally all things that includes the whole universe. Isaiah 59. Turn back with me to Isaiah 59. I'm sorry, Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. In verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's no end to it. There's no end to universe to the universe. Just think about if you travel by thought and you want to go one part of the what we'd call the universe, there's no end. There's nothing that says turn around and go back. And there's no end to God's government. There's no end to peace in God's realm. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Goes again and shows of his increase of his government. There is government. It will increase. We'll always be under government or in government, administering God's way of life, carrying out the mission he has for us in eternity. To be taught the things of God. Be creative like God is. There is, no, there is no stopping to that of His government. And some people fight government. And yet, we're learning government. We're learning, even at the feast, the government of God. Following instructions and carrying out the instructions given to us. So we... See here, then, there is no end, no end in eternity, no end of peace, no end of God's government in eternity. The spiritual world is a substance, while the physical is the shadow and copies. The physical here are just shadows of things in heaven that are made on earth as in heaven, are copies of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I mentioned, we were born in a temporary family, born into death. All in Adam all die. In Christ, that same all will be made alive. We're really temporary with a temporary breath. Not eternal life, not living forever. But our bodies will be eternity, will be throughout eternity, will be eternal, spirit, powerful beings. Here we're limited, but there we were not, there would be no limits placed on us in the spirit realm. This 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. <clears throat> so in the resurrection of the dead, which man dies, he's born into death. Death is inevitable. It is appointed and the man wants to die. Because we're temporary. We're not real. Really, it's just temporary. We go back to the dirt from which we came, waiting for the resurrection, for a different body, to be born in a different family, where life will be scintillating, as I mentioned, never boring, never dull. You won't have to go to sleep, take a bath, whatever, in eternity. So the body is sown in corruption. It is raised in corruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You see, the natural body is temporary. 
the spiritual body is forever. And that's the substance. We're all striving to be in God's family, be born again with a spiritual body, with power to live forever with God in eternity. What a wonderful opportunity God has given to each one of us. I hope all of us realize just how important that is to each one of us to comprehend the glory, the power that we serve God who said nothing's impossible with Him. All things are possible. God can make the impossible possible for us. We serve Him. We rely on His promises. We take faith in those promises until they're fulfilled. That's what God requires us to live by faith, live by the life of Christ, His faith in us until the promise is fulfilled in us. We still have the natural body, but we're sowing to the Spirit. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap what the flesh, the curses of the flesh. As it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being because it was temporary. God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And from the first breath we take as a baby to the last we take to death, we call that interim period there life. And James asked that question, what is your life? What is it? It's like a vapor. So it's temporary. See, the physical life is all temporary. Everything you own is temporary. And you can only have it for a few years, then you die. Waiting then, if you're a Christian, you're waiting for the resurrection to live forever. <clears throat> so the first man became a living being. The last Adam became a living spirit. That's verse 45. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, as I mentioned. Afterwards, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And so we were all made out of the dust of the earth. And we go back to dust, go back from which we, we were come out of. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And we have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. See how positive that is? That we will have the image of Christ. His body never decayed. His body was resurrected as a spirit being. Lives forever. He ate. He showed himself as a man. Let him touch his uh, hand, uh, the, scar, uh, the scars there, the wound in the side. Nothing's impossible with God that we serve. Nothing is impossible. And Jesus Christ is the head of His church. That we're given to Christ by the Father to be developed. Have the mind of Christ. The character of Christ. The character of God. That we may live forever in eternity. We'll never be bored or anything of that nature. Now, how would you like to live in eternity as a spirit being? If you did, then all of a sudden you became bored. You wish you could die. Well, I'm bored. It won't be that way in eternity. There's nothing to bore you. Life is be filled with joy and peace and happiness and goodness and serving and giving, not taking. So that's what this feast is helping us to see. That we are to give. Give ourselves to God here to feast. Give ourselves to each other to feast. Help those who need help. Look out for our, our Christian neighbors. Look out for them. Make friends. And uh, God will bless you for that. Then he goes on and shows in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow, you see. Not the real thing. It's a shadow of things to come. 
And we've talk, been talking about that. It's a copy of things to come or a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. So his church is to then, the body of Christ is to teach us and to help us, you know, in the food and drink and keeping the festival and Sabbath days. There are shadows. Remember, the shadow leads to reality. All on this earth are nothing but shadows that leads to reality from above. In Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. <clears throat> well, verse 4, let's just say. Well, let me go with uh, chapter 8, verse 1, get the thread of it. Now, this is the main point of things which we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the, of the throne of the majesty in heaven, or heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer, which is Christ. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who are who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly thing. The temple, earth was a physical, temple in heaven was a substance. Christ is the high priest in heaven. He would not be the high priest on earth. It's temporary. And it shows there that it's a shadow of the things, of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructing or instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, which the pattern was from heaven. It was a copy. The temple on earth was a copy of the temple in heaven. Christ is the high priest. And God is training us to become priests and kings in His kingdom as well. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. The good things, you see. The reality. The real things to come. With a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So he plainly is showing here then, this feast is a shadow of the good things to come. All things that we eat and drink are temporary here. This feast is temporary, but the real thing is coming, and nobody can stop it. When Christ comes, there will, he will fulfill this feast, a thousand years of it, and nobody can stop that. The real thing will be here. God's law will be administered to all nations. And we will have a part in that as well. It'll be the real thing that we will be eternal beings at that time. Spirit beings, sons of God. Hebrews 10. It's amazing how people fight over the shadow. Rob and steal and kill over the shadow. And eventually they'll have to repent of that. Now, verse, chapter 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow, see, of good things to come, which was Christ, was coming, fulfill the works of the law, the sacrifices, fulfill that for us, of the good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never with that, these same sacrifices, which they offer continue, continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect, there's no way that offering sacrifices could make anybody perfect. The high priest, when he offered sacrifices, he could not purge the conscience. But Christ, our high priest, offered himself. His blood purges our conscience. We have a new start. And our conscience convicts us when we sin. We have a conscience, you see. And we want to be sure we keep that the way God says. 
in Second Peter chapter three. Our verse well first we'll go to first Peter five. Verse ten. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthen, and settle you. So the life here is temporary. Pain is temporary. We need to remember that. Everything is temporary, but God has called us to something better than this temporal life that we're living in. He wants us to see that this life is not the real life. He wants us to see that He is the real God, that He is the real life giver, that He's the only one who can give you peace and happiness and joy that people try to find, maybe through drugs and other sins, but they are never satisfied. God is the one who gives peace to us. Great peace of they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So we go to God when we're depressed or when we need help, time of need, boldly before the throne of God, asking Him for help to guide us, to strengthen us, that we want to be in His family. We want to live forever. We realize the pain is temporary. Things are just temporary. Soon be over, and the real thing will come, which is the resurrection of the dead born in the family of God as well. So in Second Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in will be burned up. See, it's temporary, isn't it? That's what God has given to mankind, maybe 7,000 years, a little longer to learn His lesson, that everything here is temporary. Don't set your heart on temporary things. They never satisfy. We set our hearts on things above, where Christ is, where a high priest is, that we can come to Him anytime we want to. Anytime. Come him through, to Him through to our Father for help when we need it. So think about that, brethren, during this feast that you will be keeping in God's presence with God. How important that is that we get the most out of His feast, that we learn to love Him, then we learn to love our neighbor, help our neighbor in any way we possibly can. Then we will be much richer in knowledge of God and the salvation that He offers to all of us and mankind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 4, <clears throat> verse 17, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. And mine is, as I mentioned, it's my 50th feast. My 50th feast. And I can see the outward man perishing. Those are my age. You can see the wrinkles and things and the heartaches and the sicknesses and the pains that people go through at that age. It is perishing. You can't stop it. It's only temporary. And it has ceased existence. It will cease. But, you see, the inward man is being renewed day by day. It's being renewed. It's being fed God's way of life day by day. Strengthen that inward man that God is creating in us to live with Him forever, His sons, if we want it, if we desire it. That's our choice. Nobody can make that choice for you. You have to make your own decision, your own choice, if you want to be in the family of God and how that you want to keep this feast. You choose the way you would want to go or choose the way God has commanded us to enjoy this feast. Rejoice. Rejoice in total meaning, total purpose of this feast that will lead to reality one day when Jesus comes and have then a thousand years of peace on earth. The law of God, the Word of God, 
will be will spread throughout the earth as waters that cover the sea. The knowledge of God will be there. For a light of fiction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. The pain, whatever affliction we may have, is temporary. But look how it's working. A great, exceeding and eternal weight of glory waiting for the sons of God. While we do not look at the things which are seen, and that's what we see, you know, things that are seen, physical, that comes in through the five senses, that we see those things, we're not to set our hearts on those things, but things that we can't see. These are temporary. Their shadows are the real things that God has in heaven. But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's why we have to have the faith. That's why we have to believe the promises of Christ. That's why we have to, that I came to have, give you life. That you may have it more abundantly. In me is life. I am the way, the truth. We have to have faith. We have to have faith becoming like someone we've never seen. We've never seen Christ. But we have to become like Him. We have to have His mind in us. And God has given us His Word here, the mind of Christ, for us to live by and experience. If we follow Christ, we go right into the kingdom of God. He will lead us right into the kingdom of God, into reality, reality of this feast. Be born again and live forever with God throughout eternity, as the Bible has shown. Isaiah 40, we go back to Isaiah 40. Verse 27 of Isaiah 40. Or verse, let me start with verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high. See who has created these things. Who bring, brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Now one is missing. He can name them all by name. He knows all the angels by name. He knows all humans by name. You see what a great mind God has. I can barely remember a hundred names if I can even remember that. But all the billions and billions and billions of stars out there, God knows them by name. He knows all of them. He created them. And now one is missing because of His great power. Have you not known, verse 28, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faint nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. You've heard that. You've heard it in sermons. You read it in the literature. You've heard that expounded and explained that God is creator, that he's creating character in those whom he has called. He created the earth. He created the universe. He created the angels. We've all heard that. We've heard about God's great mind. We know he's the creator. Man could not create or bring into existence anything. God is the creator of all things. We understand that. And you probably heard some of that here at this feast already. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Just think about that, that He has strengthened us, the church of God. We didn't have any might or power. We relied on God to open up the way, to preach the message to all nations. You know, if that message had not have been preached, I, I wouldn't be here today. I heard the message. I heard Mr. Armstrong back in 1960. I heard the voice calling, calling, come out of the world, repent, and understood God and who God was, being taught and still learning by ministers, still teachable. I hope I never cease that, being teachable. So he gives power to the weak, and when we need, when we are weak, he does give us power. 
power, the endure, even though the body is weak. It is very weak, the body is. But God has all power, and He's the one we serve. Nothing is too hard for me. Anything. I can make the impossible become possible. Think about that. God is not limited in knowledge and power. He has all of it. He's not limited. He has not limited himself in learning. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the eternal, patience, you see, that's the key, is it? Just being patient and wait on God to fulfill His promise to us. Be patient, and He shall renew your strength. They shall mount up with wings like an eagle's, and they shall run to and weary, and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So that's what God promises, that He is God. Through Isaiah, He made these statements, that He is God, and there is no one else. Now, verse 6 of, of Isaiah 40, And the voice said, Cry out. He said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. And that's the difference, isn't it? God's word and we're temporary, helpless, cannot save ourselves at all, cannot give ourselves eternal life. I cannot give my wife eternal life. She cannot give it to me. Only God's Word stands forever, and we live by that Word. We strive to live by it daily, being renewed daily in God's Word to live with Him forever and do and fulfill our purpose as we read in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. Let's turn now to Psalms 147. Psalms 147. Psalms 147. You find it before I do, just wait on me. I'm looking for it. 147 verses 4 and 5. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our eternal and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the eternal with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. Talks about how grace that He sustains the earth. He sustains food for us. He sustains our life until it's finished. We sing to Him. We come together and lift up our voices in praises to the God who is worthy of our worship. Christ is the worthy Savior of our worship. We do this for eight days together. We do it every Sabbath. Then we come before Him rejoicing, thanking Him for sustaining us through another week and giving us the wisdom we need to make right decisions and understanding. And God can make any decision we make come to pass if we have the faith, if we base upon His Word we wait on God. We sing to Him. We rejoice in His divine presence. We rejoice in His feast. We rejoice in everything God has told man to do. Why? Because it's for purpose. And we understand that purpose. That this life is temporary. Eternal life is forever and ever and ever. That we will be happy forever. No more pain, as I mentioned. No more sorrow. No more burdens to bear. No more death. No more of anything. We will have eternal life. God is the life giver. He sustains life. He is the breath of life. That's the God we serve. The God of His feast that we are 
praising Him for it, for the opportunity of being here. In Isaiah 42, back to Isaiah 42, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord, who created the heavens and the earth, stretched them out. God is constantly telling us that He is the Creator, and there's no one else. I am God, and there's no one else. I created the heaven and earth. I have all power. Don't worship the earth. Don't worship the temporary things. I am God, the creator of it. And I have a great plan for mankind. Who spreads the earth that which comes from it. Who gives breath to the hope of it yeah, on it. The breath to those who walk on it. I, the eternal, have called you in righteousness. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, our Gentiles. So there you are, that we are to be light to the Gentiles when this becomes a reality as well. That God is the Creator. He's called us in righteousness, His righteousness, not in our self-righteousness, not the way we think God wants us to be, but the way He wants us to be. We want to be like Him, imitate Him. In everything we do. And the feast gives us this opportunity to do that, just that. And we can be lights to the people around us. People who don't know us may think we're strange. But they can see we're different. They can see we care for each other. They can see that we have joy and they have peace. we have peace. They can see that we have a mission and a goal. They can see all of that as we reflect God's way of life in us who have been called at this time. Now, brethren, with all of us, what we've been talking about in mind, how deeply do you value your calling? Do you take your calling seriously? What kind of value do you place on your calling? What price would you pay? In Matthew chapter 19, we turn to Matthew 19. Back to 19. <clears throat> Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, and you have followed Me, will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Everything's temporary. Our families are temporary. Our job is temporary. Our marriages are temporary. It'll soon be over. And we never want to put anybody ahead of Christ. We want to live with Him, with our families, throughout eternity. So if we hold fast to what God has tell us, never let the truth go, we have a great future ahead of us. We're going to be tested and be tempted, but if we hold fast in God's way of life, God will bless us. The Apostle Paul admonished Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. The prophets of old saw and vision the fulfillment of this feast. They wrote about it. And they preached that. They died in that fate, waiting for the resurrection. Their concept was not earthbound. It's what kept them going. Job asked the question, I know my Redeemer lives. I know Christ lives. I know Christ lives in me. Do I live a perfect life? Absolutely not. He's forgiving. I have faults, many faults as a human being. And God is there to forgive. Do you know, brethren, that your Redeemer lives? Do you know that He's living in you, guiding your mind as you ask Him to? So let's continue learning about our God here at the feast and learn to fear Him always.